up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 128. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Oh, uh, nothing much. It's been a pretty uneventful weekend in Magic. Nothing uh, oh, Nothing really up. to know. This is going to be unbearable, <laughs> this episode. Okay, okay. Let me just say right now, right off the bat, that now everyone has to agree I have a little bit of cred when it comes to limited magic, right? I don't know what you're talking about. So, on to our <laughs> usual housekeeping... <laughs> Before we jump into this week's episode, of course, if you're not already in the Discord, check it out. It's the best place to be to get uh, conversations with us uh, outside of the show, of course, and uh, post things like your trophy trophy decks, discuss picks, anything in between. It's the best place to go to to interact with the Traficionado community. So definitely check that out. The link to that is in our episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons who continue to support us each and every week. We're beyond grateful for all of you. Really can't thank any of you enough. Perks over there include things like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, show notes, our pre-show recordings, and our Draft Chaff hero cards sent right to you. Again, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Draft Chaff pod. All right. So this week's episode, before we get into like our other segments, because we're going into our crack a draft type thing here and it's related. This week's episode, we're talking about the arena open. So I'm going to leave it at that. Under a cracker draft type thing, <laughs> yeah. So um, this uh, this cracker draft is pretty special. This is my uh, my pack one pick one from uh, the first draft of day two of the arena open. So the first card out of the pack was Takazi's dig site. I've actually seen people playing this, and uh, if you're playing a monocolored deck and you can afford this slot, it's upside, right? Or if you're playing something close to monocolored, then at that point, if you need like if it's between like nine and 10 mountains or something like that, uh, and then a few of another color, then maybe you can fit one of these in. But um, you tend to not want to be doing this. If you're spending three mana to surveil, you're either doing it on turn four, in which case you're going to lose, or you're doing it on turn 10, which means you haven't won yet, which is, <laughs> that's also not a great place to be in. So uh, I don't think I'm ever going to play this card. Yeah, I've seen it used against me in ways that like kind of felt like it was good, but it was like you'd, you'd pretty much always be you'd always rather do something else with that three mana. So yeah, I guess it's a way to stock your graveyard or something, but it's really slow. Next up is wing commando, the three mana two, two flying prowess solid card. It's a soldier. You know, you'll play and decks that won it, but, um, prowess has not spell. <laughs> yeah. Prowess hasn't quite been as good as I was hoping. I haven't seen any like wild swift spear decks, although the cards are playable. Um, yeah, just, just fine. Like you'll, you'll put it in your blue decks. Yeah, there aren't enough like one mana cantrippy type cards in this format to really yeah. make the prowess yeah. decks go off. But I've seen a few that are really solid. So and and the ones that are really solid definitely want a card like Wing Commando. Probably mm. not a card I'm hoping to first pick though. Next up, Takazia's Onulet. That's the uh, the five mana four four with unearth for some white. Uh, and when it leaves the battlefield, you gain two life. And that that's leaves the battlefield. That doesn't work out nearly as well as you might think. But this can gain you a bunch of life, and that is one of the things that is rewarded in this format, uh, like keeping yourself alive. So uh, I, I did actually end up with a few of these and, and I sideboarded them in occasionally. Next up, Phalanx Vanguard, solid little two drop. I like this in the white decks. Two drops are huge in this format. And this, I've had this attack as an eight two, like very oh, yeah. easily before. Yeah, solid little card. Again, not a first pick, but definitely a two drop you're happy to have in your white decks. Yeah, especially with Vigilance. If you can find a way to put a counter on this, like the, uh, the, the, the three, four flyer that puts a counter on a soldier, just really strong. Uh, next up, Penrigan's Strongbull. This thing's great. The three mana two three, uh, where you can pay to sack an artifact to ping your opponent. This is one of those cards that Black Red really loves. Uh, Black Red has a really unique ability to have your opponent think they have a good, solid, stable life total, and then they count up the number of artifacts on the other side, and they go, "Oh, wait a minute, I I'm actually just dead," because <laughs> that thing essentially double pumps. Uh, and it's actually better than that because it's almost like unblockable and uncounterable and uh, you can do it in response to removal. Just sometimes you just fling four power stones at your opponent's face to kill them. Yeah, this card wins out of nowhere <laughs> frequently. <laughs> it's also impossible to block and difficult to attack into. Yeah, it's not obviously not free. I mean, you still have to pay the one every time you're activating it, but mm -hmm. a lot of these decks don't have any trouble generating artifacts. Yeah. Speaking of which, there's a Goring Warplow up next. Uh, this is... Uh, Again, a solid two drop. That is the upside of also being a solid six drop. It's also an artifact. It's a big creature. Reanimating this one's good if you trade it off early and then reanimate it in a later game. Just solid card. I ended up with a few of these in this deck. Next up, Gix's Caress. This card was performing pretty well in the early weeks. I don't like it. <laughs> I just I just don't think it's very good. Um, 
this isn't the kind of format where you can spend three mana and not affect the board. Yeah, I will say every time I've had a cast against me, I felt I felt bad just yeah, because like yeah. they always seem to have it when you don't want them to. But uh, yeah, I agree. I think I think not affecting the board in this format is a is a terrible way to spend three mana. Yeah, there's some power disparity in this format where getting the best card taken out of your hand can really just set you back. Like it feels like you can't win at that point. Yeah. Combat Courier is up next. Uh, the one mana 1-1 one, one that can sack itself and then unearth to do it again for a blue. Nice little card. I don't play it that much because, um, I don't know, it's, it's stupid. <laughs> it's a little dirty, little 1-1 one, one blue card draw cantrip thing. Uh, just not really my my style, but it, you can play it in the sack decks. Uh, <laughs> I, I actually played against one of them in the open that was a, uh, it was it was blue-black splashing red, or but then in game two it was straight up blue-red. I, I was kind of confused by it it was trying to be both like black red sack artifacts and like hard splashing for like blue one and two drops uh including this thing uh i did take that match uh i didn't think it was very good in that particular arrangement uh there's also blanchwood prowler here this is a solid card uh, two mana elemental stocks or graveyard just like it it's a good two drop and you want those speaking of good two drops we have a few more in this pack uh air marshal that's the one of the blue two one that can jump soldiers giving them flying Solid in the in the blue white aggressive decks, and honestly, any deck that wants to close up the game, which is even blue in this format, I think blue is at its best when it's aggressive. Yeah, and this is a solid little little effect. I mean, getting to jump your creatures like that can be well game over pretty quickly. Yeah, I've, I've died to this card, and you know, a two drop that can just be something people die to. That's that's strong. It can be the turn you play it too. It doesn't even need haste. So out of these cards, um, probably looking at the Warplow. Uh, to be honest, I, I like the word plow a lot. The strong bull is also up there uh, or the prowler. This is pretty unexciting though. There's no like good removal spell or anything. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on all of these. I think I'd probably go war plow for the flexibility. If yeah. I was like really diehard trying to just force a force an archetype right now, I'd probably go like air marshal or wing commando mm. and just try to make one of those two decks work. Yeah, but yeah, for flexibility, I'd go with the war plow. Into our uncommons, we have third path iconoclast. That's the blue red uh, uncommon. It's good. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like the weird prowess. Um, but you know, caring about artifacts helps. You can just make a bunch of one ones. Uh, I, I did some research in preparing for this event, and I noticed that a lot of the blue red trophy decks had exactly two copies of this. Just yeah, this you know, small the, sample the blue size, red deck. I noticed. Yeah, the blue red deck needs iconoclasts. Like you don't have a viable version of the deck without them. I think mm-hmm. and. To that end, I almost think it's a first pickable card. I don't know that I'm happy to first pick it, but I think if you can take it early and then you kind of shoehorn your way into that archetype because nobody else is getting these cards. Unless really somebody else happened to, to open there. one. Yeah. Right. So like if you can pick it up, you're not going to get past them is kind of what I mean. Typically, um, typically if somebody is going to move into those colors, they're taking this before they're taking anything else. So you generally won't get past too many of them and Taking it early kind of means you can force your way into the the archetype maybe a little bit easier, but yeah, not I'm, I'm not really recommending taking a two color card to force your way into an archetype. Yeah, how about a colorless card like Steel Exemplar, uh, five mana, four four trample, but if you only spent one color of mana total to cast it, uh, it comes in with two counters on it. So five mana, six six trample, Colossal Dreadmaw. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this card is better than I originally gave it credit for. I mean, I've seen it played against me a few times, and every time I felt terrible, but it's... Yeah, I mean, still a 6-6 six, six Trampler, that's going to be the biggest thing on the board. And, and it, it, it's a solid attacker. Like, Trample is really nice in this format. And it's a good blocker when you play it. Uh, that being said, it costs 5. And <laughs> a good deck in this format can really only afford a few 5-drops. Uh, maybe none. I, I think I would rather have Mishra's Juggernaut than this. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's a little boring, like... There are just better things to do with the mana at, at that point in the game, but yeah, it's a beefy creature that has yeah. trample and, and it's a stat beast. You know, if you're yeah. playing mono green, you're probably just slam this. Yeah. Next up is ivory tower. I'm not Windmill really going to dignify this one. <laughs> with <an> explanation. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, our, our, uh, Avenger is next. This one kind of resembles steel exemplar, but it's a bit different. This is the one where, uh, you can pay one generic to give it a bunch of different wacky abilities like flying or vigilance or death touch or haste, I think. Uh, so if you want, you could get a one mana flying vigilance, death touch haste. Well, and it shrinks itself every activation. Oh, oh so. yeah, yeah, a one one rather, a one one flying yeah. vigilance death touch haste. Uh, I just I don't like this card very much. It can be annoying to play against, but 
it gets hit by all the like disenchant removal and locking it down with an arrest or something is a great way to deal with this forever. This is six mana. Uh, I don't think I'm going to cast this card in this format. Yeah, this is probably front runner for my chaffy for most annoying card to lose to. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah, big time. So uh, the uncommons didn't exactly help us out here. Now, you can imagine that by this point, if you're uh, looking at this pack and it's the arena open, you're, you might be starting to sweat a little bit. But thankfully, thankfully, the rare slot saved the day because it was Misery's Shadow. And this is probably one of the best cards you can see pack one, pick one, because this card is just a house. This this is one of my favorite cards in the format by far. Um, for those that have had the, the fortune to play with it, you know that when you attack on turn three after playing it on turn two, it functionally attacks as a 5-5. Five five. Your opponent cannot block it unless they have like a death toucher or something. And they have to take it. And then you look at your hand and you go, okay, do I have a three drop? No, I have like a one drop or a two drop. You pump it to use your mana perfectly that turn according to the number of like, you know, activations you can afford. I hit them with it and then curve out it, 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 it's so good and the exile clause is fantastic against things with unearth uh, or, or wacky little other uh like death triggers here and there so just all around fantastic card and one of the most impactful cards of the weekend for me i've played against this card exactly once and i never want to play against it again <laughs> i can't imagine the game went well it did not because they played it on turn two and yep. I looked at my hand and i was like i need removal now yep yep <laughs> uh, and, and it, i don't have any uh-huh. This is the one where if you manage to disfigure it, like then you really won. But otherwise, you're gonna need like some really hard removal to, to lock this thing down forever. Like that was exactly what I had in my hand. Do it. Yeah. I had I yeah. had a disfigure and I had an artifact re- only removal, like raise the ground yeah. or something. That's and I was just it. like, all right, on to Fairy Tibble. This is our roses and thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. Uh Ben, you just talked through that whole pack, so I'll kick us off here. Yeah, let's do it. My Teferi is, well, I've got, I've got two, but my, my main Teferi is actually the arena open. I'm just thrilled to that. You did so well in it. Like, <laughs> Thanks, you know, dude. it's one of those, uh, you know, you love to see your friends doing, doing something awesome. And, uh, absolutely. Ben and I have talked about catching the arena open for a long time and since it was announced and, 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 you know, you finally did it. So I'm just, I'm just thrilled. Also a little Thanks. bit of like, a little bit of like, um, I don't, I'm sure you, you get this in being that you are in the field that you're in, but, uh, it's a little bit of that, like, like teacher pride where I'm like, man, I, I yeah. brought you into this and I'm watching that's you succeed true. that way. That's and true. that's, it just feels really good. Don't so. worry. I'm going to get you back next time we get dinner. It is on me. I, I owe you for <laughs> introducing me to this game, at least that much. All right. Sounds good to me. Uh, and then my other two fairies that I've got a quiet ish week. You may be able to tell I'm actually sick right now. Um, I woke up with flu symptoms a couple days ago. Yikes. It's not quite the flu. I think it's just like a, a relatively bad head cold, but, um, on the bright side, I have a quietish week this week, so I can kind of just stay home and relax and maybe catch up on some Andor. Oh, please do. Did you start it yet? <laughs> no. Oh my! I, At this oh point, it's like God. a joke. Like I, I feel like I have to not watch it just to keep. This you is upset. ridiculous, man. You're gonna watch it and be like, "I'm so sorry, I waited this long." Just come on, just go watch it. All right, I'll all right. We're gonna cut this episode short. Zach is actually gonna. <laughs> he's, um, no, I'm not. I, I'll watch it. I'll watch it later tonight. Uh, okay. My table is that, that I'm last, sick. You said that last week. You said that on the show last week. <laughs> yes, I did. Okay, uh, my, sorry. My table. Yeah, my tipple is that I, I am sick, of course, and I had internet problems yesterday. Like, I think around 9.30 or 10 o'clock in the morning, my internet just cut out, and it never went back on all day. Are you at work? Yeah, I work from home, so, like, it was yeah. kind of a big, big issue. Yeah. I tethered my phone for as long as I could, but eventually I ran out of the ability to do that. So, uh, yeah, luckily I was able to get it back later that evening, but... It sucks not having internet, especially when you're sick and you're like, well, I can't go out and do anything. <laughs> what are you I'm supposed just stuck to do? at home with no internet. It's like, what? Yeah. What are you supposed to do? You don't you read just kind a of, book. I do a lot of reading, but like if you do a lot of reading already, you don't really want to do that again. <laughs> More. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, yeah, yeah. but I, I got it fixed. So it's all good. What's up with you? Well, uh, I'm going to start with my Tibbles because I think my, my Teferi is going to segue us right into our, our full episode here. My Tibble is that <laughs> my, my, my trusty keyboard, it's just been going nuts. Zach can see the show notes. I think I got them mostly, but the show notes were just littered with double letters and weird indents and spaces and strange misspellings. Uh, th- this thing's just going on me. Um, the, the M key is sticking and the C key is sticking, so they double letter a lot. And I just got done the momentum conservation unit 
good number of M's and C's in there. So that was not a fun experience. Um, anywho, I, I, uh, I think I know where some of this, this cash prize money is going to go to. Actually, you got to send me some, some good recs, Zach. I know you have like keyboard preferences. Sure. So, uh, my Teferi this week, um, you know, it was Thanksgiving here in the U.S., so got to see family and friends, do all that fun stuff. Got to see some people during my break, do some holiday shopping. Um, people already know by this point that uh, we hung out last week for last week's episode where we had our, our fun car recording. Um, so that's all still pretty fresh in my head because uh, we dropped this episode a little early, actually. Uh, but anyway, the big story, the arena open. Um I, I won, I, I guess. Like, <laughs> I, I don't know how else to say it. I... Uh, I won the grand prize of, of $2,000, which um, we were discussing a bit in the, in the pre-show uh, that our patrons may have heard by this point. Um, we, how often does this happen? Like, we, we don't have good metrics, but I feel like on Magic Twitter, every time this happens, you usually see like from five to 10 larger trending tweets of people that have cashed it. This one, I feel like I saw less than normal. And to be honest, I know I got lucky. So I want to I want to preface this entire episode with that. But um I, I, I don't know how common this is. Yeah, we don't really get any publicized metrics by Wizards on how many people enter it, like for day one, how many people day two, or how many people cash. I would expect that because this happened over Thanksgiving break, like that that week or the weekend yeah. following Thanksgiving, uh, I would expect probably fewer people joined it than typical for an arena open. But also maybe because everybody was just like home with family and stuff, maybe that would have led to more entries i don't know i i kind of intuition tells me i would have expected to have fewer entries in this one than than a given yeah any yeah. other given open but um yeah we get we get no information back from wizards on how many people enter or cash these so mm-hmm. hard to say all right so under a listener question of the week and our listener question this week kind of comes from everybody uh, and that's because ben in his i don't know if it was hubris or if you were just like <laughs> cool with following through with it uh put out this bet that if he cashed the arena open, he was going to get one of the prominent cards in the deck that led to him cashing as a tattoo, like on his body permanently. <laughs> so um, hubris definitely was a factor, but also a factor was that if, if I end up with this at, like down the line, that's a good problem to have, right? Like if I end up with this, like, Oh, what should I get? <laughs> like, that's a problem that I'll be happy to have because I have $2,000. Uh, that's or, fair. Yeah. Something like that. So, uh, there was some feedback on Twitter, some people asking in the Discord as well. I'm still up in the air. I think I'm leaning towards either the uh, the Dragon or the sh- uh, the Shadow. I-, I think they were both really, really important cards the weekend. Um, there are a few other ones that were important as well, but I- I- I'm still a little up in the air about it. I might even allow, like, I have some friends that do tattoos. Um, I might even ask one of them to do like a cool artist interpretation of like several or one of them. I don't know. It's up in the air, but uh, I have not forgotten about this and rest assured, I will be following through with my, my, uh, my perhaps ill-conceived bet. Uh, we'll be expecting pictures in the discord. Yeah. My question was, are you doing just the art or like the literal whole card? Cause I would kind of <laughs> love for you to just tattoo an actual magic card on your body. I, I, that is an option or just the art or just a part of the art. Or like I said, I might try to do like a, like an interpretation of the art in like a new way for multiple cards. I, I have ideas, but, um, if you yeah. wanted to try to stay relatively like classy with it mm-hmm. and not just have a, a literal magic card tattooed on your body, you could probably get away with like tattooing the flavor text somewhere. Oh, I didn't think of that, that given card. Yeah, I but. thought about the mana symbol or like the mana value or like the, the power and toughness or like activated abilities. I, I'm thinking about all these options. Um, so speaking of, of random things to do with the community, uh, at this point, we wanted to let you all know, just as a reminder, uh, at the end of this episode, we're going to be discussing not one, but two giveaways. So uh, be sure to check those out. I mean, you're not going anywhere anyway, are you? You're not going to fast forward. Don't do that. Stop. Stop. Come back. All right. So this week's episode, we're going to we're going to go through the arena open. We're going to talk through day one, day two, both of the drafts that Ben went through in day two and kind of, well, pick Ben's brain about updated thoughts in the format and uh, how the whole event went. So day one was sealed for those that don't know. And so you're opening six packs. What did you think when you saw your rares? <laughs> Uh-oh. so what were your rares like do you remember what 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 all you opened so i had a few junkers in there uh i had a hall of tagson the uh the rare land that taps to make power stones that wasn't great to see uh i had a tokazia's welcome but white was really shallow just 
not very many things that even triggered it. I had a bunch of three threes in a way and then just a bunch of weird spells. So that one, I knew just from looking at the pool that that was a miss. Now, I also had a teething wormlet, which I know there was some hope in the Discord that that would be the card I ended up having to get tattooed. Thankfully, uh, that one, again, green was just a little too shallow. I didn't really have a clear vector. I had some good spells in green. I, I had a uh, an epic confrontation, a bushwhack, um, and a Gaia's gift, So uh, and a giant growth. So my, my green spells package looked pretty good. I did at one point consider playing red-green. But then upon further consideration of my rares, uh, one of which included an Ashnod flesh mechanist, and seeing that I had two copies of Disfigure, uh, as long as, uh, as well as a few other good like black cards, like uh, some skull flares, uh, gurgling anointer, that type of thing. Uh, I ended up deciding to play black red. Uh, now red was solid. It wasn't fantastic. Uh, I, I had some just solid red stuff in there, particularly bitter reunion, uh, Penrigan Strongbull, Mishra, uh, excavation prodigy, and I actually started to see a weird vector within my pool. I saw that there was some draw two stuff within uh, red and black. Uh, now, some of the, the the more important stuff here in colorless was actually two Falaji dragon engines. And those obviously are a big reason to play red. Uh, that was honestly one of the, the, the main reasons I knew I had to, as well as a skitter beam battalion. And uh, then once I saw I had a scrapwork mutt, I was like, all right, I know two drops are important. I had two goring war plows as well. So I knew two drops were important. Uh, I've been trying to do some research going into this and uh, the, from what I've been seeing, the general vibe was uh, to treat this more like an aggressive format, it's almost like not quite up to the speed of like M21 or something, but like more aggressive than people have been treating it so far. So I, I tried to heavily prioritize two drops, aggressive stuff, and the ability to kind of rummage through the late game in order to trigger draw two things like, uh, for example, a trench stalker and the uh, the gurgling anointer. Those are the, the two big payoffs that I had. Um and they both were fantastic in this deck. Yeah, that's, I mean, you mentioned a handful of cards here that I would be happy to open in just about any sealed pool of Falaji Dragon Engines. And Skittery Battalion is a powerhouse. That card can win games out of nowhere. Oh, it, it absolutely did. So with all this kind of funny card draw stuff and the Dragon Engines, um, they were some of the overperformers. So I had to play with Mishra's Bauble that I, I was pretty proud of. Um, it was kind of funny. So uh, I was pretty close to dead to rights. I, I was kind of churning through, trying to find stuff, rummaging things away. Um, so I used Bauble on my turn to uh, tap, sack it, draw a card on the beginning of my opponent's uh, next upkeep. So I'll draw a card on their turn. Then uh, on their turn, I sacrificed a creature to Peric Blast to deal some damage to one of their creatures. I, I think I flung like, uh, I don't know, like a scrapbook mud at it or something. And uh, that triggered the Gurgling Anointer. Then that grew it. Back on my turn, I was able to sack it to something else and uh, get back a huge, I think I got back like a Penrigan Strongbull that helped me win the game. So little plays like this here and there were, were uh, kind of the way I pieced this one together. This was by far the weakest deck of the weekend. Um, in fact, it, it came very close to not working at all. Uh, I was uh, six and two and I was just, I was flooding out so bad. And I, I really thought the game had ended because my opponent was playing an aggressive red green deck and then they didn't play a fifth land. And then the next turn they didn't play a fifth land and the next turn they didn't play a fifth land and their, their hands started growing. And I was like, wow, I'm just really going to have a great run and then end up in a classic screw versus flood scenario where screw ends up winning. Except then off the top of my deck comes Skitterbeam Battalion and I look down <laughs> and I've got nine lands. And then the game just ended on the spot. <laughs> so thank you, Skitterbeam Battalion. It's a powerhouse of a card. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you, you managed to, now, I wouldn't say you managed to scrape it together. I mean, seven, two is a great record and the deck looks pretty sweet. So, I mean, you put, you put together a nice win here. I'm one, one thing before we move on to the next event, I'll call it. Um, this is, you, you mentioned something earlier that I, I haven't really gotten myself to this mentality yet. And I'm curious if you've done this a lot in the, in the past, or if this was something that you've just started doing with this, this sealed. This was your first sealed for for Brothers War, right? Yeah, yeah. Besides yeah, the little both one of us, that we did. Well, both of us missed pre-release, and then that sealed we did was like set boosters. That didn't count. <laughs> yeah. um, but you mentioned noticing a a different vector in your colors than you were really like expecting for black red. Do you find yourself going into sealed pools looking for vectors more than you're looking for colors to come together, or Definitely. do you still yeah. force? Do you still look at like okay, these are the colors I have to work with. 
let's let's find a vector from here? Or are you like looking at overarching vector kind of pulls before you're thinking about what colors to play? Yeah, there's definitely a bit of both. So, for example, I mentioned that I knew I couldn't play Tokazu's Welcome um, because white was too um, like shallow uh, pool wise. Yeah. Um, what I really mean was that there weren't enough like small white creatures to trigger Takazi's welcome. That's the one that triggers um, when something with mana value three or less enters the battlefield, you draw a card. Um, oh, I so just not that have... you didn't have enough white cards, but that you didn't have enough specific yeah. white cards. When I say that, that white was shallow, I, I kind of associate white with the smaller creature stuff. Um, what I'm really saying is that the vector for that was too shallow. Uh, and it just so happens that that vector is mainly present in white. So in this case, looking within black red, I, I more noticed this as I was deck building. And that's what actually led me to include Mishra over say some other random three drop because I saw, yeah, maybe this card is not the best thing in the world, but it is a rummager and the rummager can trigger the, uh, the, the few cards that I, I have that care about the, uh, the draw twos. Got it. Cool. I think that's something I need to start doing a little bit more of is focusing on vectors instead of colors in my sealed pools. Yeah. And to be honest, that also opens you up to splashing more effectively in right. sealed because it maybe you, you splash for an off color card that's on vector and in sealed, you tend to have more time uh, and possibly better fixing depending on how you opened it. Plus I think it's just kind of easier to look for vectors in a sealed pool because you have all the cards out in front of you. And in a draft, you don't necessarily know if you're going to get a bunch more draw two stuff that happened to be in your colors, right? Maybe there's a blue black player to your right. That's going to end up like stealing all that stuff. But uh, in this sealed pool, you know exactly what you have to work with and you can look for the strongest vector within your pool. All right. So that, that takes care of day one on to day two, where you've got potentially two drafts ahead of you, right? You have to do one draft. And if you get a three, one or better record, you move on to the second draft of the day. Mm -hmm. So you sit down for your first draft. What, what did your first pack look like? We, well, that was, that was the one we looked at earlier. So we, we know what your first pack looked like. Yeah. Um, yeah. Weren't thrilled to see the entire pack, but totally thrilled to see misery shadow and you, you slam that. And then how did the rest of the draft go for you? Well, th there's some funny context here. The, the, uh, the sealed I'd actually done at home in South Jersey. Um, but I ended up driving up North crashing at a friend's place. And I did this, uh, in their apartment the next morning on like their apartment Wi-Fi, So I was a little nervous, but you know, that's how it goes. So uh, this first draft, I ended up with a very solid black green deck. And it was solid mostly because I had some really strong graveyard vector stuff. So the, the big highlight is I had three copies of Overwhelming Remorse. And these were some of my earlier picks. Um, I think I had two within the first six picks of pack one. And, you know, you just can't pass this card. It, it, it exiles things for one mana when you're properly stocking your graveyard. And uh, two copies of Blanchwood Prowler were pretty effective for that. Now, at this point, I'd recognize that Black Green was a strong deck in the format, particularly due to the graveyard vector and incidental life gain. So I knew that with incidental life gain, uh, I would be able to survive against kind of the more aggressive uh, two-drop and one-drop oriented decks like Black Red. So I had a bunch of incidental life gain in this deck, um, including a, a boulder branch golem at the top end for, for big life gain. But this, the real strength of this deck was the removal suite. Uh, I had a copy of Disfigure, Bushwhack. Uh, I had a, uh, a copy of um, Epic Confrontation as well, um, plus those three Overwhelming Remorses and a Skyfisher Spider. So tie that together with an overperformer that I wasn't expecting. Uh, Fauna Shaman was actually my, my pack to pick one. So I was already kind of in black-green. Uh, more in black than anything else. I had a few Blanchard Prowlers at that point. But when I opened Fauna Shaman in pack two, I'm thinking like, wait a minute, I haven't had experience with this card in limited ever. Um, is this is this good enough? Like pitching something. And I started thinking, well, if I'm having these overwhelming remorses and I want to be able to go get some of the stronger cards, like, for example, I could go tutor for a misery shadow, then this could actually work out. Uh, I ended up with a, a few reanimation regrowth effects too, like a no one left behind the five mana one and an emergency weld, the two mana regrowth. So Sometimes with Fauna Shaman, I would on turn three, just discard to go get uh, Misery's Shadow and then uh, regrowth it and uh, regrowth whatever creature I, I pitched the next turn or sometimes just straight up reanimate it. So it ended up being that Fauna Shaman was a really sweet reanimator and graveyard stalker card, which also helped with the, uh, the two Gixian Skull Flares I had in my deck. Plus, uh, it had good tutor targets. Skyfisher Spider was a tutorable removal spell. Haywire Might was a tutorable disenchant. Boulder Branch Golem was a tutorable gain six and Misery Shadow was a tutorable win the game on the spot. 
Yeah. Wow. I mean, that, that was, was that something that you noticed the fauna shaman, like when you picked it or it started to come together after you had your deck together or even just after games were together? Honestly, I didn't know how good it was until I played games with it. I thought it was okay. just going to be a two drop that I sometimes traded off for occasional value uh, if I got to do the, the tutoring thing. But in the late game, I would turn a Takatli Arner, uh, Takatli, that's uh, <laughs> Ixalan, a Tavakul Honor Guard into a 6-6 six, six, or something like that. Uh, so I, I think to survive in the late game in this format, you need stuff to do. And whether you're rummaging or discarding or just raw drawing cards, uh, y- you have to do something. And a lot of the cards are not impactful. Um, like the occasional two drop isn't going to do much for you. And getting to upgrade those was a, a, a real a strong reason to have this in the deck. Yeah, and I think, I mean, uh, the Fauna Shaman kind of single-handedly turned this into a toolbox deck. And it really was. Yeah, it was black-green toolbox. That's pretty solid. <laughs> yeah, no, no wonder I enjoyed playing it. Uh, so I did end up going 4-0, uh, 8-1 in games, which allowed me to have the double elimination bracket. Uh, going into the, the draft that afternoon. So the funny thing is, uh, I had kind of expected, maybe this isn't a good thing to do, but I was not expecting to get this far. Um, I, I had actually kind of banked on like, oh, well, I have afternoon plans, but I probably won't make it to day two. And I probably won't make it past this first draft if I do. So uh, I was supposed to meet up with some friends in New York City for for brunch. So uh, I ended up, as soon as this draft was done, it was around 11. Uh, I headed to Newport, Went straight in New York City. Oh, I almost forgot to mention, um, another standout card from this deck was Mishra's Foundry, the, the creature land. At some points, um, this was just a straight-up rock deck, where I, I even had a creature land to animate, like old, uh, I, I don't know, whatever random creature lands rock players were saying were good at the time. Um, so at some points, it was just like kill spell, activate a land, swing in with that in a two-drop. It felt very rocky. Anyway, on to the next thing. Yeah, so on to draft number two. Um, like you said, you're you're good for double limbs, so you've got a little bit of room to play. Typically, with uh, this number two draft, you have one loss available. If you lose one match, you're you're out. Mm-hmm. Um, same same sort of event structure, though. You have you you have basically four. You're looking to get four wins. Um, what did what did it look like sitting down for this draft? What did you open? Well, visually, what it looked like was I was sitting in my car <laughs> outside my friend's oh, apartment. No yeah. Uh, so I'd gotten back from the city at this point. It was like, I want to say like 4 PM and uh, the, the uh, registration window closed in about an hour. So it was about an hour home to my apartment. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, I have to at least register, but if I don't draft now, what if the draft just doesn't fire later? And cause like, I don't know, I don't know how many people you need to, like, if there's weird numbers behind the scenes or something, uh, I don't want to get in one of those situations where I'm the last person trying to draft their like second draft of the day deck. And then I'm just screwed out of any chance of, of cashing. So I ended up just, you know, <laughs> sitting down, turning on my heat warmer, uh, my seat warmer in the car and um, just drafting on mobile. Uh, and shout out oh, to the mobile, mobile device right. because it, it actually worked out very well. And um, I got to say, pack one, pick one was tyrant of care, keep uh, care of ridges. And uh, that, you Solid feel good. pack one, pick one. Yeah. I did not even look at another card in the pack. I was like, give me that dragon. <laughs> like, uh, that, that's as good as it can go. But, you know, I was I was on kind of unstable internet. And uh, I ended up drafting the whole deck. And then uh, going home, driving home in the rain, crawling home, knowing I only had three hours left to uh, to complete my matches. And, um, yeah, it was... Uh, it, it, it was nuts. Uh, honestly, it's a good thing I did the draft in the car because it took around five minutes to fill up. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um, I was curious. I, I've, I think I've heard from previous arena opens that like if you're if you're getting into the later bits of the day, uh, like near the end of registration on any of the days, it, it can be pretty tough to find matches. So yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, kind of good, especially with the fact that it's a draft. And at that point, because you're in day two and you're on the second draft of day two, there's such a limited number of players available yep. to actually fill a pod. So um, I'm still not really sure how they handle like a number of player entrants that are not divisible by eight. But anyway, um, what did the rest of your draft look like? Well, it was one of the more rewarding and lucky drafts of the format that I've had so far. Uh, for those that saw my deck list, it obviously looks nuts. Uh, I think there's like four or five rares just scattered around. There's a Mishra's command. There's a Felden. Uh, there's another Misery's Shadow. And of course, the Tyrant of Care Ridges. And 
Honestly, I, I couldn't believe my luck as I kept getting past packs. Black Red was so open. I, I had 23 playables by the end of pack two. Like, wow. I, I was I was very happy with how the deck went. And I knew that by the end of the draft, I was going to be able to hone this into something disgusting. And I am, again, sitting in my car uh, and it's pouring rain around me. <laughs> um, so the Goblin Blast Runners, I had two in my deck. Those came around late as they always do. Uh, they shouldn't. This card is awesome. Uh, you're able to pick up something like Mishra's Research Desk, which just looking at the raw data has been one of the strongest uncommons in the format. Uh, this thing is really good. I did not really understand what this card did the first few times I saw it. It's not quite dig through time, but in this format, it's like an aggressive dig through time. It's like a dig through time that aggro decks can afford to play. Uh, right, some other. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and because I won with this deck, you have to believe me. That's that's the law now. So I picked up two Scrapwork Mutts and uh, two copies of Bitter Reunion very highly. I found that rummaging is a good way to stay alive in this format. And you don't need that much mana to win the game. <laughs> like, you don't need a ton. Um, in fact, this deck, I could tell was going to be a much lower curve uh, deck. I wound up. With I mean, you're basically copies. topping out at three. Uh, you've got three yeah, cards above yeah. three mana in, the, in this whole deck. And one of them gets cheaper. So I had three copies of Conscripted Infantry. I actually had a Falaji Dragon Engine that I, I would side in sometimes, but I didn't start it. Um, I, I started the Conscripted Infantry instead because I liked that they died into the 1-1 the one, one Soldiers, particularly because I had two copies of Power Stone Fracture and a Thraxo Demon. Um, just having access to all those made me want just as many bodies on my board at all times as I could have, particularly artifact stuff, because that's useful. I mean, you can sack like a flashback mutt, or I even had a game where I unearthed Misha's research desk and sacked that to a power stone fracture. Not bad, not bad. So then, of course, Tyrant of Care Ridges was the top end. Um, I probably ended five, four or five games just by getting them to four and then slamming the Tyrant. Like, Oh, just, yeah, such a great way to win games. Yeah, I did have a game where I got to, I had a bitter reunion out uh, and I had enough mana. I played the tyrant, dealt four to their face, gave it haste, swung for lethal. Nice. Yeah. So, okay. So, so I know part of this, how this went down, but for the listener, if you weren't, if you, if you haven't paid attention to the, like the event structure for this second draft, you basically had four matches that you were trying to win. Uh, if you won the first match, I think you got a gem payout or maybe nothing. It was 15,000 gems. Yeah. Okay. Pretty hefty gem payout. And yep. then, and then your second match win net to 500 bucks. Third mm -hmm. match win gets you a thousand. And then the last, the fourth match win gets you 2000. So then each win, how, where, what are you feeling? You get, you get your first <laughs> match win, you've netted the, the gems back or whatever. So I, I was texting you nonstop through this, obviously. And we've talked about it since, but um, to be honest, one of the most stressful rounds was that first match. Cause I was thinking, like this deck has got to work like this deck must work. And uh, after that first match, it worked. Obviously, that was great. Um, I, I drew the shade and the dragon more often than I think I deserved. <laughs> but uh, I had turned two shade a solid number of my games. So uh, the, the first time once I won the money match, it was funny. I came back here and a bunch of my friends were just at my apartment visiting my roommate. Um, and I felt bad that I couldn't hang out with them, but I, I like ran into my room and I was like, I, I, I like shouted out. I was like, I'm either coming out a loser or with cash and I'll take y'all out to dinner. <laughs> so they were like, all right, Ben, go ahead. So, uh, each time I won the money rounds. So the, the first time I won the 500, I immediately texted you. I ran out in the other room. I told all my friends, I was like, I just won 500 bucks. And they were like, yo, really? And I go back in <laughs> and then I win the next match. I text you. I run back out and I'm like, I just want a thousand dollars playing Magic the Gathering. And they're like, keep going. I run back in. And to be honest, for the last match, I I don't think I dropped the game at that point with this deck. A, a game, not a match. This deck was so good. Um, it was almost just I was able to really enjoy it at that point. Because you're playing for two thousand dollars, you're able to lose one whole match, and I hadn't dropped a match that weekend yet. So I, I was feeling just about as good as you can feel as a Magic the Gathering player. And just winning the 2K, um, it, it wasn't even a very eventful finale. It wasn't a very close game. <laughs> uh, but I ran back out, texted you, told my friends, hey, I'm taking us all to ramen. So like uh, the nerves really dissipated once. I know you shouldn't like you shouldn't give up once you hit like the first one, like the 500. You shouldn't be like, oh, I, I'm just happy that I got this far. You should keep playing like full tilt, which I did. Um, but honestly, once I was at that quote unquote stage, um, 
the nerves just went away and it was just pure fun. That's awesome. I think, yeah, being able to get that far and still know you have a match loss to give up. Yeah. Like that, that has to feel so good. Um, it, it did. It really did. Uh, yeah. I've already, um, I've already framed a few cards fr- from these decks. I thought about ordering one of these decks in person. Maybe I will just to kind of have is like a, like a keepsake. Cause this was all digital. You know, if this was like a paper tournament, I, I would have these things like framed in a case, but uh, I happen to have a copy of the dragon, the shade a Mishra's bauble uh, and the spider, which was a, a huge card in, in the deck. So uh, I-, I tossed them up in a little, uh, a little picture frame and I've got it on my wall right now. So honestly, probably my proudest moment as, as a player. So ironically, this happened like right after we recorded our first impressions show because of the way that <laughs> things happened, right? We recorded the first impression show uh, a day later than we usually do. Yeah. And then this event happened the next day after we recorded. And I think through, for myself included, because I, I also tr- attempted the open, I had a a uh, pretty mediocre run. I had a, I had a solid deck in my first run. I was playing best of three uh, and I went one, one. So I, I got one match win and then I, I lost the second match and then that was it. And then my uh, second deck, I played best of one and I went four, three, I think, mm. or something like that for whatever. I, maybe I got three or four wins. Um, so I didn't, didn't get too far. I usually only give myself two, two bullets on the, the opens because otherwise I'll waste too much money. <laughs> Yeah, fair. Um, but uh, I think both of us came out of that event with some different thoughts on the format. <laughs> we had just recorded the first impressions show. So yeah, let's do yeah. a little bit of a, a postmortem, I guess, and update our first impressions on the show. What was like the biggest takeaway for you for the, for the format after having kind of got quote unquote gotten it? Yeah. So I had actually just mentioned, I, I was just talking about on the show how I hadn't felt the click yet. And to be honest, in doing these three events, I felt the click. Uh, and it was the moment that I realized this was like a one and two drop set because that's honestly one of my strengths. Uh, I, I've always loved playing aggro. I, I play white weenies. <laughs> like my, my pioneer deck is is uh, Boros. So since that realization, I've had a pretty big change in my results because I mentioned again on the show, I was not doing well in, in bro draft. Uh, and this kind of shift in mindset um, you can still do big mana stuff in this format, especially with life gain, uh, like in black green, thanks to the spider or, or the golem. But this is a goblin blast runner set and you should be prepared to either kill them or die on turn five. So um, there's a bunch of three power two drops in this set. There's the Tomacool honor guard. There's the rock hunter. These looked like just random chumpy two drops. You can just play these. And if you just back them up with some tricks and some removal, your opponent is just going to die. <laughs> like they, they just end up dead faster than they can do things. And three power trades up pretty well. Now, of course, sometimes there's like little one, one soldiers that get in the way. That's why those cards are, are solid. Still uh, the scrapwork cohort in particular. Um, really. I think you want something from like six to seven to maybe nine, one or two drops in most of your aggressive vectors. And the thing is all the vectors. Well, I won't say all the vectors, all the color pairs can be aggressive because uh, blue and green can have aggressive starts in this format, which you know isn't always true. But uh, blue white can be a very solid aggressive soldier start, and like uh, green red can be a very aggressive just aggro start. Yeah, totally agree with with those uh, kind of points. I suppose I, I don't know that I had that click in terms of the aggro bits, but walking through your deck lists and then just talking a little bit more about the format, I've definitely started to see that shift. It feels like. Uh, I think it's easy to convince yourself that because there are all these big creatures running around that the tiny stuff doesn't get the job done. But if you kill your opponent before they can cast those big things, well, Mm -hmm. they get the job done. So one thing I'll say is I've noticed, and this is obviously true in every set, but evasion is great in this format. Um, And I don't just mean like flying. I mean menace. I mean flying. I mean trample even. Um, There are a ton of ways to just like hit out of nowhere. Things like bitter reunion, having that little give your creatures haste things stapled so to it. So good, yeah. Really great, especially because there are a bunch of cards in this format that either make a bunch of creatures or can pump a bunch of creatures kind of out of nowhere. Um, being able to even play like one or two extra creatures and then give them haste has been yep. really, really useful. You don't need, and, and I think at the beginning of the format, I gave myself sort of a, you know, almost detrimentally, I gave myself this like limit where I'm like, okay, don't activate that haste effect until you've got 
the ability to play maybe three or four creatures in a turn. Really, you can get the job done with two. You don't you don't need to yeah. have a massive board to make that really worth it. Um, and any of the cards that have haste on them just seem incredible. Cards that can kill out of nowhere, like the junkyard genius we've talked about a million times. Oh, just disgusting for so many reasons. Kills out of nowhere. The the strong bull we talked about also kills out of nowhere. Yep. You really there are a lot of things that some of these, and I think this is one of the big benefits to these aggro vectors in this format is that they win with a bunch of little weird interactions and so if you're yeah, playing against yeah. these decks you really need to be on your toes to pay attention to all of these little tiny levers that those decks can pull to make the game turn in their favor mm-hmm. we were we were right about black red and the way it uses like the one and two mana artifacts even something like misha's uh like desk uh or the other ones like uh the chromatic star or uh, the lantern all those little dorky cantrips so i found menace to be particularly good i I think there was kind of like a balancing act behind the scenes here of the big stuff like the 10 mana 10 10 versus the one drops and i think the the seesaw has swung a little bit in favor of the one drops because of the functional evasion in the set uh Giving a Blast Runner Menace, uh, when it gets plus 2-0 and gains Menace until end of turn, then you have a 1-mana 3-2 Menace, which is just really, really difficult to deal with. It's going to trade with at least one creature. If you block it with two things, that means you put two things on their one drop, and that means their three and their four drop might be crashing in for damage. So there's also Horn Stoneseeker, really strong two drop. Um, uh, it's particularly good if you can sack its Power Stone before uh, it, it dies. Uh, or yep. just not let it die for a while. Uh, it's a little funny if you sack its original power stone, then make more power stones, but, you know, who cares? And then Junkyard Genius, the combination of uh, haste and menace. Junkyard Genius does them both at once, but even by playing something like Bitter Reunion and then just a Goblin Blast Runner and attacking, like sack, attack, give it haste, menace, smack in for a million. Um, this can really punish opponents who think they've stabilized and can really punish people that haven't gained any life. I mean, some of the... Uh, the top end decks, like the go big decks, they don't play any life gain stuff. And those ones will just die to this stuff every time. I think it's the the Boulder Branch Golem um, that really can can shut these decks down because you are playing one drops and eventually you do run out of gas. Um, things like uh, the Scrapwork Mutt and Bitter Reunion help you prevent running out of gas. But, you know, at some point you're top decking. It goes in the late game. The more life you can gain, the stronger your chances are uh, are of beating these super aggressive vectors. Yeah, and I'll say I think rummaging is better than drawing cards in this format because <laughs> kind of yeah, fueling your graveyard is really, really important in a lot of ways. And there are just so many cards that can take advantage of uh, of stuff in your graveyard that it's it's really good to have things um, getting in there. And then also there are just so many good little cards that we couldn't see printed as draw a card without like also being able to get rid of something. But like cards like bitter Mm -hmm. reunion have gone up a lot for me for a lot of reasons. We talked about that card a ton today, but the fact that it puts you up a card and, uh, gives you that little extra value later in the game with the haste uh, ability is, is really great. Scrapwork mutt is, is it still the best common in the format? I haven't checked the data, but, um, it's, it's probably my favorite. Yeah, yeah, that yeah definitely for. up there. Um, you can't really take too many of either of those two cards. Yeah. Um, also, a note about these. If you're playing a deck with these, which honestly, I think you should be. I, I would take Scrapwork Mutt and just put it in like a green-white deck. Like, don't even worry about putting a mountain in there. Um, maybe if you have like an E-Wilds, you could put one in. But uh, maybe you have like some other way of fixing mana. Who cares? So um, anyway, my point, similar to how you would play with like a, like a Falconrath Celebrants, a few sets ago, that was the the five mana four four menace that made two blood tokens. You didn't want to put a six drop in that deck because then you would have the question of, well, do I uh, use these blood tokens to cycle away my lands, or uh, do I play out a sixth land that I could be cycling away when I have to eventually draw my my six drop, like the big wolf or something? So similar to that, you want to be very smart with the cards in your hand. Sometimes you just shouldn't play your fifth land if you have like a scrapwork mutt. In, in your deck and you're not you don't have like a four drop or plus a removal or like five drop in your hand or anything uh if your deck is all just like good one two and maybe a few three drops like well the one that i used to win the open uh you should really consider just sandbagging a land sometimes even two now you got to be careful because if you are sandbagging two lands and then you uh end up drawing a land and then an expensive card then you wish you had played one out or like a land uh and you draw another removal spell or uh, like a card draw spell or something, you may have wished that you did play one out. 
use context. Think very carefully about the cards in your deck. And uh, again, the zero to two mana artifact cantrips are just really good here uh, because they add value to your board without really losing you too much tempo. I think that's why it took me a second to kind of click with the uh, the aggro decks in this format. They don't always play out the way that you would expect a normal aggro deck to play out. Sometimes there's a little bit of dirtling. Um, I, I won a game where I spent turns one and two activating uh, Mishra's research desk. Like that's <laughs> that's kind of weird for, for like a black red aggressive deck to do. But it was just based on the texture of my hand. It's just what I had to do. Uh, also, should note, evolving wilds triggers sacrifice things uh, like the, the blast runners, which sure is does. honestly... E-Wilds is a high pick in this set. Yeah, I'll say um, if you're not doing the aggro thing, probably black-green is the next best option. I I don't think, you know, black-green has access to a nice intersection of of things that stop those aggressive decks. Things like life gain, things like graveyard recursion, uh, you know, all of those sorts of things, being able to use up their resources over and over and over again that some of these other bigger decks don't really have access to. Look at like blue-green, for instance. Sure, you might have some of the life gain aspects. You're not really getting too much graveyard recursion there. Mm-hmm. You're sort of just trying to ramp out and hope to survive long enough to. You're to kind of your spinning your wheels, you know. Exactly, which blue green's generally known for. But um, <laughs> yeah, in a format that does have powerful aggressive decks, you need a little more than that. You can't just spin your wheels. You have to be doing something or or have ways to increase your survivability if you're hoping to survive through those things. So one more note about this format that I think is. A little sad, and I think one of the reasons that a lot of people have had some beef with this format, uh, you should generally ignore the wacky big mana retro rares that you see, like especially early in the draft. They are almost entirely traps, I'll say. Uh, I would take Scrapwork Mutt over 95% of them. Um, that, that 5% includes Worm Coil Engine. You should probably take that. Uh, it's pretty good. I, I would probably take a Precursor Golem. I've liked that card a good amount. Maybe Phyrexian Processor. I've seen it do well. Um, I haven't gotten to play with it myself. I did have an opponent play it, and they set X equal to 1, which was just one of the most cowardly things I've ever seen. Um, but, you know, they, they did win the game with it, so grumble, grumble. But uh, anyway, I, I even keep... I, I think I've beaten Helm of the Host like three times, and I, I don't think I've yeah, lost Helm of the Host. Helm of the Host definitely seems like a trap in this format. Yeah, you just can't do nine mana's worth of nothing <laughs> to get blown out by like a removal spell. Like a single disfigure could answer that nine mana and a card investment. So unless your deck is like really built to maximize Helm of the Host, like for example, I think that black green deck that I had probably could have played it. But even then, I would have sided it out against like black red. Um, just keep it in mind, if you're going to try to do some wacky stuff, your win rate might suffer a little bit. I mean, that's the format. That's that's the update to our to our first impressions. That's Ben's interaction with the uh, the arena open. So what's next on our radar? Well, first of all, I have to apologize for all the self-aggrandizing this episode. I, I mean, this has honestly just been such a treat, and I feel super lucky that I got to do this. And out of obviously, support from the community has been awesome, and from you, of course. And uh, I don't think I would have done this without the show. You know, like I don't I don't think I would have been able to win this without having thought about this set because of the show. So uh, if you're listening, you in some way helped me uh, help me do this. Because if you're listening, that's why we're doing the show. So thank you, I guess, I think. Yeah, that, made, that makes sense. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, because I, I really did seal the deal with uh, sealed... <laughs> Uh, with the with the arena open, I feel like I really got like a royal, almost like an imperial treatment. Oh, um, <laughs> uh, anyway, I I'd like to do a giveaway in honor of this this uh, this win. So I'm gonna give away the foil full art imperial seal. Uh, this beautiful beautiful magic card. It's got like probably like a hundred twenty dollar value or something. Uh, I'm gonna give it away. Uh, it was cracked by me as a prize pack, so I've kept it in perfect condition. So uh, as of the release of this episode, you can head over to Twitter. Uh, you'll find, we'll pin the post um, on the official Draft Chaff account. And to enter this giveaway, you just got to like the post, follow us, and retweet. It's just that simple. And uh, as a bit of a special bonus to all of our loyal listeners who are just the coolest community, um, everyone who is in the Discord server as of the time of this episode release automatically will get an additional entry joining the discord post this will not get you one but everyone that's in the discord that's like listening to this on release day like you all know who you are 
uh, you're automatically going to get one entry. Uh, and then you can still go and enter again on Twitter through the usual entry process. We'll, we'll do a, a big uh, like aggregation of, of the entries and, and do a, a normal drawing from all that. You can expect to hear the winner on next week's episode. Uh, we'll announce it there. And we'll also announce it on Twitter in case it's, you know, someone that can easily be tagged there. All right. So that's one giveaway. Earlier, Ben mentioned that we had two giveaways to talk about. And our second giveaway is associated with a, sort of a, a tradition now, draft draft tradition. Yeah. And that is our holiday mailbag episode. This is our second, third of these Third. third. This is right. our third. Yeah. Cause the first one we did was, was halfway through the year. So yeah, this yeah. is our third holiday mailbag. Um, typically we, and we, we did something kind of similar to this with, with our Halloween episode. Um, but yeah, our holiday mailbag, we, we just want to hear questions from you guys, wacky, serious, holiday related, magic related, food related, anything related, drop those questions in our holiday 2022 channel in the discord. And also set a reminder on your phone because everybody who submits a question is going to be entered into our end of year giveaway details on that to follow. Yep. So to be clear, all you got to do is just ask us a fun question <laughs> and then uh, anyone who does this will get an entry and uh, you know, who, you're going to want to enter this one. We'll say that. Well, that does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you do want to check out the discord and maybe drop us some questions in that holiday channel, you can find the link to that in our episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod. If you want to find us outside of the Discord, you can find us on Twitter at draftchaffpod. And of course, do be looking out for the post on Twitter there to get your entries into Ben's Imperial Seal giveaway. That does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week. So today's actually a holiday, one of my favorite (laughs) days of the year. Today is Spotify Wrapped Day, and to all those who celebrate uh, Happy Spotify Wrapped Day, to all those of those who don't, today is the day when Spotify uh, just kind of goes nuts and tells everyone uh, all of their top listened songs and artists and genres, and they keep doing weird stuff. They'll like they told me that I listen to Goblin Core music. I don't know what all that's about, but. Um, Anyway, my, my top artist this year was the 1975. I think Phoebe Bridgers and uh, and a few other big ones were up there. Uh, Brock Hampton was up there. Tyler the Creator was up there. Um, I was pretty happy with my top listens. Yeah, it's a uh, it's always a crazy day to see. Like, just kind of reminds you of like, oh wow, yeah, I did listen to that song a lot or whatever. And I'm <laughs> I'm the type of person who like repeats songs a lot. I think I listened to Gravity 185 times this year. <laughs> nice. Um, almost all of which were done from August 11th forward. <laughs> yeah. It tells you that too. It tells you like yeah. the day you repeated a certain song the most. So uh, yeah. yeah, it's funny. But anyway, we actually got some interesting data from, uh, from, from the draft chaff podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, if you don't have a podcast, you may not know this, but Spotify also does a wrapped for podcasters. And so it shows you, I mean, the normal wrapped will show you like your top listened podcasts, but there's a there's a wrapped for podcasters, which gives you more data breakdowns on like your listener base and all sorts of things like that. So we actually got some interesting stats on our show that we can't otherwise find really. Like it's not yeah. trivial to necessarily get this information otherwise. So pretty cool things. Ben, what do we what do we have uh interesting that we want to share with the, the listeners? Well, apparently your podcast was in the top twenty percent most shared globally. And apparently 88% of people use direct links, 8% texted it, 2% use Facebook and 2% use other carrier pigeon. I don't know how else to <laughs> share this, but honestly, just knowing that top 20% shared globally. The only explanation I have for this is that there are millions of podcasts with zero listeners. I can't think of another reason. There are almost certainly a lot of podcasts that are on the platform that are not uh, very big. Um that also may include podcasts that have ended, but were not taken off of Spotify. And so like mm, nobody's listening yeah. to them anymore. Um, I'll also throw out there, uh, the stats we get back are strictly on people using Spotify to listen to the show. So we don't, uh, Spotify is not giving us stats on folks who are using say Apple podcasts to listen to the show. Mm-hmm. So uh, another, uh, cool thing that it, it told us we're apparently in the top 15% most followed podcasts. So I guess if we look at the people that would tend to follow us versus the people that would tend to share our podcast, it makes sense that those numbers would be comparable, like top 20%, top 15%, but still top 15% have followed. I guess this is a reminder. If you don't follow us, go 
go follow us. <laughs> I forgot you could follow podcasts on uh, on Spotify. Yeah, I mean, it's a relatively new addition. I think they added that like maybe a year or two ago. Um, mm-hmm. They also mentioned, I don't know if you had this one readily available, but they also mentioned that we did 20, 27 video episodes this this year. Yeah. And if you're listening and don't know what a video episode is, Spotify recently, again, within the last maybe two years or so, enabled podcasters the ability to upload videos alongside the audio for their podcast. And so if you're watching something or listening to a podcast in Spotify that's hosted through Spotify's hosting platform, you could also watch it. So we do our live drafts. We always put the video for the live draft up. And then we also um, have little videos associated with the the podcast as well um, that you can check out on Spotify as well. So just something else kind of that we don't talk about often. We almost never mention that we do the video thing through, through Spotify, but mm-hmm. um, it's cool, it though. is there. Yeah. And uh, I, I got one more last statistic uh, here. We were in the top 10 podcasts for 107 of our listeners. We were in the top five of podcasts for 46 of our listeners. And we were the number one podcast for three of our listeners. Um, if you're one of those three, if you're looking at your app and you know that you're one of those three, if you DM us proof, uh, I think we should give you like a special role in the discord. I think we'll, we'll at least give you a cool title. Oh, that'd be fun. Yeah. I like that idea. Let's do that. 